So it's, it's really exciting to be speaking to you today, actually. So it's been about over maybe a year since I've spoken at G2 before. So um, yeah, it's really good to be here. But um, so, like Rosie said, we're sorry, not Rosie. Uh, we're continuing <laughs> with the Finding Jesus series. So Josh did a talk about um, Nathaniel, the student, and Holly did a talk about Nicodemus uh, as someone who was a religious man. So what we've been focusing on is thinking about how Jesus encountered these people personally. And um, so we've been looking. We're going to be looking at four individuals. We've got today and next week as well. Um, and these are all recorded in the Gospel of John. So John's Gospel is my favourite Gospel by far. It's a really, really exciting Gospel. It's quite different to the other ones. And what we notice is John really focuses in on dialogues that Jesus has with people. So most of the dialogues, three out of four that we're looking at, aren't in any of the other Gospels. Um, and the one we're going to look at today is actually the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in any of the Gospels that's recorded. So it's a significant conversation. John gives this story a lot of airtime, and I think he does that for a reason. So so should we. It's a really exciting story. In many ways, it's shocking, it's controversial, it's radical, and it's also, I think, really beautiful. So I hope that you're looking forward to really kind of getting into this story and entering into it. Um, and it will be familiar to many of you. You've probably heard it before. You might think you know what it's about. What I want to challenge and invite you to do today is to kind of put those things aside and think again afresh about this story. To enter into it as if for the first time. I want you to place yourselves in the shoes of this individual to try and relate to their position, to ask some of the questions that they ask, to think some of the thoughts that they think, and to encounter Jesus in the way that they do. And what I find really incredible about these words that Jesus exchanges is they are incredibly relevant to both our culture, our society, and each one of us as individuals today, even though they were said 2,000 years ago. So Hannah's going to come up and read the passage for us now. Um, if you want to follow it in your Bible, it's John chapter 4, verses 1 to 29. Jesus talked with a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become 
in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus is on a journey. Him and his disciples have already travelled quite a long way. It's midday. The sun is at its highest. They're hot, they're tired, they're hungry, and they're very thirsty. Disciples head off into town to find some food. Jesus takes a seat at a well. A solitary woman comes along and starts to draw water. Jesus asks her for a drink. So let's just pause here. So far, so good, right? It all sounds pretty normal. A man has been travelling, he's thirsty, he asks a woman for a drink. Nothing unusual there. Now, as a science teacher, I sometimes start a lesson with something to draw in the kids' attention or um, a starter activity. And sometimes it might be something like, look at this picture, what's unusual about this picture? I have a picture for us, if we just go through the passage. So here we've got our Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. Now, if you just have a little look at this picture, okay, I'll give you just 30 seconds, have a little look, see if you can spot what is wrong with this picture, okay? It took me a little while to work it out. Does someone want to give a shout and say, if they spotted it? Exactly, the toilet roll is there. And it took me a good 30 seconds, and I was like, that looks normal, right? But then you realise, definitely not normal. So, when we look at this picture of the Samaritan woman, it might seem normal to us. Jesus is hot, he asks the woman for a drink. But on close inspection, what we actually realise is what is happening here is very, very unusual indeed. So, first unusual thing to note about this is it starts off... In this account, John says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He doesn't really give a reason. Um, but if you were a first century Jew reading this passage, at this point, alarm bells would ring. 
Because what we don't necessarily realise is the route that people would usually take to Samaria was uh, to Galilee, sorry, where Jesus is going. A normal Jew would not go through Samaria. So if you have a look, Jesus' route is in green and there's a dotted one where someone would avoid Samaria, go across the River Jordan and around. And this route is actually a route that Jesus does take elsewhere in the Gospels. And he doesn't go through Samaria. So actually, this point that John makes, now he had to go through Samaria, people think, well, why? Why would Jesus have to go through Samaria? He doesn't say. So you think, well, why is that? Why would a normal, good, upright Jew take the longer route and avoid Samaritan land? Well, Jews, Samaritans didn't mix, and that is lost a lot on us today because we don't realise the tensions that were there at the time. To a Jew, Samaritans were the worst kind of outcasts. So this was a historical, deep-seated, passed down generation after generation kind of hatred. To Jews, Samaritans were half-breeds, heretics, blasphemers. So they had remained after the Jews had been exiled to Babylon and they'd intermarried um, with the pagans at the time. And to Jewish people, that was a dreadful thing. You didn't marry a non-Jew. So they intermarried with them, um, and there'd been some mixture of the Jewish religion with some of the pagan religions. And the Samaritans, they claimed to be the true descendants of Abraham, whilst the Jews also claimed this. And when they returned, there was fighting, and the result was this kind of segregation. So they lived next to each other, but a Jew and a Samaritan would never be seen speaking in the street. A decent Jew would not sully themselves by going through Samaritan land. They would take the longer route over the River Jordan and round. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. First unusual thing about our picture. A Jew is speaking with a Samaritan. Will you give me a drink? We miss the intake of breath that most Jewish readers would have made at this point. There's another thing that jars about this picture. Jesus was a rabbi, so he was a teacher of the law. Um, someone that actually people looked up to, so not necessarily everyone followed Jesus at this point, but they recognised he was a holy man. He was someone that was devout Jewish, and he was leading this group of people that were claiming he was bringing Israel back to God. Whether you agree with him or not, he was looked up to. Devout Jewish men would never have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. If it was unavoidable that they should be, then they certainly would never have engaged in conversation. And we read later, the disciples were astonished when they came back from buying food that he was talking with a woman. This was a bold and actually downright inappropriate move. And yet, will you give me a drink? And there's something else that jars with this picture. Unusual point number three. This woman is drawing water completely by herself at midday. So normally women would go to the well in the cooler parts of the day, in the morning or in the evening. And they would go as a group, it would be kind of a social thing. And yet we find this woman completely by herself in the hottest part of the day. So she has chosen to come here at this time because she knows there will be no one else there. 
She's the social outcast. She's a complete outsider in her own marginalised part of society. And we find out why later on. Jesus says to her, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. This woman is morally dubious. So we've got a Jew speaking of a Samaritan, a man speaking of a woman, and we've got a woman drawing water completely by herself. So this is not a usual picture that we would expect. Just realising these things should make us look at what Jesus says completely differently. It transforms from a seemingly insignificant story of a thirsty man in the middle of the day to a story of actually what is a radical encounter. The very act of talking to this woman, Jesus is deliberately reaching across almost every significant barrier that people can put up between themselves. A racial barrier, a cultural barrier, a gender barrier, a moral barrier, and every convention of the time. That he, a religious Jewish male, should have nothing to do with her. But he does not care. Do we see how radical that is when we look at this picture? Jesus reaches right across all the human divides in order to connect with this woman. Why? So let's look a little closer. She responds, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? So she is completely taken aback. Even my own people have rejected me. And you're a Jewish rabbi and you're asking me for a drink? Jesus responds, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water? What is Jesus talking about here? So he uses the word living water, but actually the word in the Greek is the same as what you might call running water, so a stream or a river, rather than a well or a pool. So what Jesus is doing here is he's being deliberately ambiguous. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. And she says, Sir, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus responds... Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thirst. The sun is unbearably hot. The dust from the earth is in your face. Your lips are cracked, your head is pounding, your limbs are aching. There's not a drop of saliva left in your mouth. To be thirsty, truly, really thirsty, is to be in agony. To taste water when you have been that thirsty is probably the most satisfying experience possible. The metaphor Jesus uses here of water is completely lost on us. He says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. We rarely go thirsty. I have no concept of real thirst. I turn the tap on, water flows. We have ready access to drinking water. Now John's audience would know what it was like to be thirsty and they would know how precious water was. Okay, they lived in an arid desert climate 
with the only water source being a well which they had to trek to every day and draw water from. Water was precious, it was life-giving, and it was not a commodity. So I've just been on holiday to Crete with Josh, um, so that was a lovely week. But what really struck me coming back is the difference between that climate and ours. So I suppose it's not unlike what Israel might be like. It's a dry place, and um, it's really hot. Um, but as we were driving back from the airport, 6am on Friday morning, I looked out the window and the first thing that struck me was, how green is England? Our country is just so green, there's so many different shades of green, you don't realise that until you come back. We have no concept of thirst, because essentially we live in a puddle. It rains so much here, water is more than abundant in England. But I think when we think about what it must have been like to them, we grasp a little bit of um, Jesus' message here when he uses this image this woman. He's telling her, I've got something for you that is as basic and necessary to you spiritually as water is to you physically. Something without which you are absolutely lost. Something for which your whole being craves. But not only that, my water would satisfy you from the inside. If you get it, it will become in you a water welling up to eternal life. He's talking here about a deep soul satisfaction. Something that goes beyond what is happening around us because it comes from within. And I suppose there's a question that we need to ask ourselves here. What makes us happy? What are the things that we find satisfaction in in life? Almost always we'll answer by saying something outside of ourselves. So a relationship, a house, a child, that new shirt, that new car, that new sofa, that new job, the list could go on. If I have that, if I get there, then I'll know I'm important, then I'll know I have significance, then I know I'll be secure. I'll be the first to admit that I do this all the time. Now, we are a bit of a Pinterest generation, aren't we? I don't know if you've ever used Pinterest before. Maybe the women more than the men amongst us. But it's funny. It shows how we're so never satisfied. So people create mood boards of all the things they wish they had. Little pictures of what our life could be like if only we had X. You know, here's a Pinterest board to brighten up my ugly brown sofa. A Pinterest board to make me a beautiful garden. A Pinterest board for my ideal perfect summer outfit, the perfect work clothes, the most beautiful wedding, the perfect job, and the list goes on. Okay, even Josh has a Pinterest, so he's like, <laughs> 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 for a while and he closed it down and revived it. <laughs> so Jesus says to us, Scotch, <laughs> eh? Oh, so Jesus says to us that actually there's nothing outside of you that can satisfy that thirst that is deep inside of you. So if you kind of continued the metaphor, you say you don't need water splashed on your face, you need water that comes from even deeper than the thirst itself. So there's a quote on the screen by Timothy Keller, and he puts it like this. Most of us aren't able to recognise our soul first for what it is. As long as you think there is a pretty good chance you will achieve some of your dreams, as long as you think you have a shot at success, experience your inner emptiness as drive and your deep thirst as hope so you can remain completely oblivious to how deep your thirst actually is.
think we don't often realise that we're thirsty for God because we hide our thirst by trying to quench it with so many other things. When Jesus mentions this living water to the Samaritan woman, he's caught her attention. So she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to keep drawing water. She understands how vital water is. And obviously she thinks Jesus is talking literally. Now at this point, he says, Go, call your husband and come back. That might sound quite strange. Jesus, why are you changing the subject? I have no husband, she replies. You almost sense her shifting in unease. Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I don't know about you, but those are quite direct words, aren't they? Jesus doesn't hedge here. What you've said is quite true. You've had five husbands. The man you now have isn't your husband. And in a way, you can almost take a step back and think, what is Jesus trying to do here? Is he trying to humiliate this woman by displaying her sordid sexual history before her? Saying, yeah, sure, you've had a string of men, but that really wouldn't seem to fit with the way he's chosen to act so far. Crossing all these social boundaries, so gently start a conversation with her. And I think Jesus is not seeking to humiliate her here. What he's doing is he's really pointing her to the thing that she's been trying to quench her thirst with. He's nudging her, saying, if you want to understand the nature of this living water I offer, you need to first see how you're seeking it in your own life, how you're trying to fulfil that desire for more. And I think that can speak to us as a generation. Relationships is something that society elevates. Okay? We hunger for them, and they're almost made into this God. Once I meet the person I'm meant to be with, then I'll be happy. Once I fall in love, then I'll be satisfied. You know, the films, the books, the TV shows, they all elevate relationships, love, and sex. Marriages become more and more lavish on the day, and yet we see divorce goes up. And there's this really confusion in our society surrounding relationships. And I think often, just whether you put it into other things, we make our relationships what only God can be. And I think with marriage, it's interesting for myself. I know I spent so much time planning this one day of my wedding, and you kind of think that you'll wake up feeling incredible and different and wonderful Actually, after it's happened, it's like, oh, right, life goes on. It's, you know, I don't feel any different. Um, we expect our relationships to satisfy us on an impossible level. And the things we thirst for the most, often we find the most difficult, and they're the things that evade us the most. That elusive one, the perfect partner, we find them only to realise no matter what we do, our best relationships will still be imperfect. And I think the reason for this deep-seated thirst is that we're made for relationship, but relationship with God first, and then with one another. And I think the reason why as human beings we all seek for meaning, for purpose, for beauty, and for love is because we were created by a God of meaning, purpose, beauty, and love, and he has placed this desire in us so that we would seek him. What is it that you are trying to quench your first relationship with God with? 
friends, a husband, a wife, a better house, a nicer, bigger car, a more successful job? Where is it that we place our identity? Do we think we will be more significant, important, happy, successful, satisfied if? And I know for myself, even after being a Christian for quite a while, we still try and quench our thirst for God with other things. But we can't play that identity in these things because ultimately they do fade. And Jesus says elsewhere, what if... What profits it a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And ironically, this is what we see again and again in society. The rich and famous, the rock stars, the movie stars, they get to the summit of success, money and power, and they say it's not enough. So famously, Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous, do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Everyone is worshipping and seeking something. But Jesus responds, unless you're worshipping me, unless I'm the centre of your life, unless you're trying to get your spiritual thirst quenched through me and not through these other things, unless you see that the solution must come inside rather than just pass you by outside, then whatever you worship will just pass you by in the end. So how is it that you relate to this story? How do you relate to this story? We're going to have a time of response now. Um, and Holly and Paul are just going to bring a bottle of water to each of our tables um, with some cups. And sometimes it's quite helpful to do a physical action to help you focus your mind. Um, you might be someone who finds it difficult to know what it means to encounter Jesus or to pray. But I think if you do a simple action, sometimes that can help focus your thoughts. So what I want you to challenge and encourage you to do is um, we're going to have a time of prayer. And then you can pray and reflect and ask God what is it he's trying to say to you. And as you do that, drink the water. As you feel it go down your throat, ask Jesus to satisfy you. So once you have the water on your tables... Um, if you can just make sure everyone pours themselves a cup. And I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, and they're going to sing a song for us that is about Jesus quenching our thirst. So I encourage you just to listen to the words um, and just to reflect in your own way. And you can choose to drink the water or not. But I find those kind of actions quite helpful myself. So... As we do this, I want to ask you a few questions. Where are you at in the story? Where do you feel that you fit? Maybe you feel like a bit of an outcast in church. You don't quite belong here. Maybe you feel a bit like this woman. Morally, maybe you don't feel like you fit here. But we notice firstly that Jesus went out of his way to seek this woman. He loved her enough put himself in a compromising position, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done or what other people might think of you, Jesus seeks you out and he wants to know you. There's also a challenge with this encounter. So Jesus says, come as you are, but he doesn't say, stay as you are. Maybe you, like this woman, keep coming back to the well 
You keep trying to quench your thirst with water that won't satisfy. What is it that you put in the way of your thirst for God? Maybe I can encourage you to bring that to God now and ask him to help you to find your satisfaction in him. Lastly, maybe you feel like you know who Jesus is. And I think I put myself in this category. You've encountered him, but actually, often you still feel dry. This story is not just for other people. I do that a lot. I hear a story and I think it's about the person next to me or the person across the way. But it's also for you as well. You might have living water in your reach, but every day you keep returning to the well. You try and quench your thirst with other things. We need to remind ourselves to drink every day, to find ways to encounter Jesus daily in our lives, or we will be thirsty. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to find our satisfaction in you. We pray that you would show us 